The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. With the by then familiar festive program from Dublin's Grafton Street. It was a catch all program, a mixture of light and shade, aimed at the beginning anyway, primarily at an audience of stay at home spouses. But soon it became the place where all the great issues of the day were aired, discussed, and dissected. Now, much of the conversations were initiated by letters from listeners who had shared their views and their problems, and Gay would read them out on air, beginning as they always did with the words, Dear Gay. Well, that's the title that his younger daughter Susie has given to her collection of letters from listeners to her dad during the run of the programme. And it's fair to say that they present a a history of an Ireland muddling its way to modernity through the last quarter of the 20th century. And Susie Byrne is with me. Susie, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Thank you for having me. Now, this is clearly a labour of love, love, but a labour nonetheless. It was a labour. It was. It was long. It took me nearly two years. Um, to go into in through the archives and pick the letters yeah. that would reflect the collation of, of letters. That yeah, are, that and, and are the there. broad spectrum, uh, spectrum yes. of what was discussed. What's interesting, you reproduce photographs of the actual letters as well as reproducing the letters in, in yes. print. So we can see the different handwritings yes. and, and so on. But what I didn't understand is that Artie had kept them all. There are boxes yes. and boxes Box. and boxes yes. of them. Yes, and the the files are um, very well kept, thank God, and they are kept in date order of the programme. So it, each letters are, are mixed in with programme files and newspaper articles and tear outs and all um, the running order of the day and everything. So it's very, it's fascinating when you're looking at each file because it was a two hour programme to see that a very serious subject would then an, an ad break would come along and then they he would move to something like a Christmas cake, c- cooking the Christmas cake or something. It moved yeah. in and out of light and dark the whole way through, which is fascinating as well. Now, uh, the, the programme itself, I mean, you were very young when it started, if was, you were born at I all. I was born 1973, so literally it started a month before I was born. So you don't have any uh, recollection of those early days? No. I would no. remember you coming into the late, late, uh, the television area yes. w- with your dad from time to time. Yeah. But the radio was something different. So when did you become conscious of the fact that uh, that he was so important as a programme? Well, I think the programme was always there in the background for us as children because it, you know, we, although we were going to school, when whenever we were at home, when you heard the sick tune of the radio programme coming on, you knew you were, you were home and dry, either sick or really or, or faking it. Um, so the, the, the music of the, of the programme was very much in our lives. And, but I always associated with kind of comfort and the it ha- and happiness. And Dad did a lot of mimicry and acting throughout the program. So they're the bits weirdly that I remember. I don't remember any of the hard hitting yeah. but, stuff but at the, all. Your, your mother had a rule, you know. Yes. he leaves that in the studio. He yes. comes home. He we don't talk about that. No, she no. would listen to the program, but then would not discuss it with no, him over dinner I, or anything like nothing that. Nothing like that. And he. He he used that that journey out from from Donnybrook out to Hoth every day. I think as a he loved that drive. Out. People are always surprised he lived so far out. Yeah, but he loved that drive for just forgetting about everything. Decompress is the modern word they use for that. And he would have a a dictaphone on the on the passenger seat. And if he thought of things on the way out in the car, he would just speak into the dictaphone, mm. come home, and then write his lists, famous lists of anything that he thought about out for the walk and. 
then now, back I, in. I, I would be coming in from my own programme yes. and he would already have been to the Late Late Office. Mm-hmm. He would then go into the studio and he would rehearse. Rehearse. He would yes. actually read those letters to himself quietly in the studio and act them out. Yes. He, it was a full rehearsal before he went on air. Absolutely. And John Cadden would say that literally the studio would be bustling with everybody getting ready for the programme and he would be speaking into the mic, rehearsing again and again and and putting little notes in a letter to say, you know, pause or uh, uh, laugh or whatever, just yeah. to, to make sure that the letter was reflective yeah. of the writer. Now, I, I would pop my head in and say mm. hello, whatever, and I would see him and I'd say, has he nothing else to wear? He's wearing that green sweater <laughs> green again. Sweater. <laughs> Tell me about the green sweater. Well, the green sweater um, was given. So my our great friends, um, Joan and Doug Will, up the road from us, they met my dad coming out of, coming up the cliff walks one day and he was, looked literally straggled. There was bits of coming out of his jumpers and Joan, who absolutely adored gay, uh, she couldn't have it. So she bought him a jumper and it was the time of the World Cup. So he, the jumper came, the brightest, brightest green jumper, um, which with big Ireland on the side of it. And um, that jumper disappeared. And we all thought, thanks be to God, it's gone somewhere. Mum thought it was down in the hot press somewhere behind the immersion tank. And it was the 25th anniversary of the Gayburn show that we went in as a big surprise. And uh, the I think it was the Orchie Concert Orchestra rehearsal area yeah. that there was the big party. The studio one. Studio yeah. one. And uh, he, in he walked after the surprise and, or for the surprise rather. He didn't with, know you were coming. No, he didn't know I was coming. I was coming in from London that day. Yeah. Yes. And we, and so. Um, so he didn't know he was going to be ambushed by his he had family. no idea. And therefore yes, he I felt. Think Mike Murphy went into the studio yeah. or something and, and he was totally ambushed. And he was in the studio starting the programme with the green jumper on <laughs> and then brought in. Holy to, God. And my mother nearly died. <laughs> she still talks about it. And this dreadful, dreadful green jumper, which he had left on the back of his chair every day after the programme, knowing that nobody would steal it. Which they didn't. Now, there are, the letters are reproduced and yes. some of them are amusing. And there's one we picked out, which is superficially, as you put it, uh, is quite frivolous. Yes. But then the underlying things. Dear Gay, I just finished a week of night duty. During the week, we had to go to a certain licensed premises at three o'clock in the morning because an alarm was going. In the course of searching the pub for intruders, I went down into the cellar with a barman who happened to be the key holder. As you know, the cellar is the engine room of a public house. It's where all the barrels are tapped with the supply lines going up to the top in the bar or lounge as the case may be. Beside the barrels I saw two buckets of liquid, one appeared to be stout and the other lager or ale. I asked the barman what they were and he said they were slop, that is leftovers and the drains of unfinished pints all poured into the buckets. I asked him what they did with them and he just looked at me and grinned and said, ah sure I couldn't be telling you that. The whole world and its mother knows that publicans, in order to increase profit margins, put the slops back into the barrel to be served up to unsuspecting customers. Some publicans will tell you that they can send back bad barrels to Guinness and get a discount for them. The point of my letter is this. With the current publicity, and this is where it completely changes, <laughs> with the current publicity that AIDS, hepatitis and its transmission is getting, it is possible that unscrupulous publicans are helping the spread of AIDS and hepatitis by pouring back into the slops, which may have been the remnants of some carrier's pint who had slurped and slobbered over his last pint. 
I know there are lots of women who are married to men who are proud to boast that they are 10 pints a night men. And I know that with the abuse some of these women get from drunken husbands, they would be delighted if their husbands got AIDS, hepatitis, herpes, ulcers, (laughs) blood pressure and every other ailment going. Or if they just blew up sitting on their high stools at the bar, so much the better. But what about all of us moderate drinkers? Do we have to endure the prospect of getting AIDS or hepatitis just because an unscrupulous publican puts the slops with the saliva and spittle included back into the barrel just to make a fast buck? My goodness. (laughs) And that went on for weeks. Weeks. Weeks, because the licence, the uh, publicans went absolutely mad about that and uh, that didn't happen etc and then the obviously letters came in and it I mean it, there, there's a whole there's there's a there could be a chapter on its own on that it was one of those letters that took off and the outrage and the disease and the everything it was great mm. another one I'm absolutely convinced without any doubt that Mr. Stroke Ms. Gayburn in my opinion thinks he's actually changing from a man into a woman I've noticed this in the last six months or so particularly listening to him on his radio show for example what sane man unless he had the intention of a sex change would listen to day after day women on the phone to him about ladies corsets the royal family childbirth romance stories women's underwear women's rights sex Sex, etc. And isn't he gorgeous? Everything and anything related to women, he just loves it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but he read them out, you see. That's he the did, point. and he read them Even out when in they the had voice. A go at him. Absolutely, he read them all out, and and letters like that, and the 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 pub slops story. He would have read that in in the whole Dublin accent or the mm. whole made it into a whole drama. A whole drama, which is fantastic. There are so many serious issues. Yes. Uh, I mean the the late Christine Buckley mm-hmm. interviewed her, and that uh, developed into a larger. Uh, conversation about the institutions. Uh, he did talk about AIDS. He talked about uh, child abuse, sexual mm-hmm. abuse. This one harrowing letter from a woman talking about her father pinching oh, at her. And, you know, it's, it's yes. harrowing. Um, mm-hmm. He was very outspoken about the provisional IRA. Very much so. Uh, very, very outspoken about North, the North. Particularly, he, he uh, on both sides, he, he was vocal, very vocal. And they, they discussed... The the North was discussed a lot on um, the Late Late Show, but more in a, in a political sense. But on the radio programme, it would be after certain mm. atrocities and everything. He was very... Enniskillen particularly Enniskillen, and Gordon yes. Wilson, that saint of a man. Yes. Who lost his daughter, who he held her hand as yes. she died under the rubble of Enniskillen. Yeah. And the vo- his voice, that lovely, soft northern voice, uh, listening to the audio of that um, and the genuine forgiveness and the devastation, but that that um, the way that Gordon Wilson spoke about the whole... It, it's the uh, single... It was, I'm, Omo was terrible after the Good Friday Agreement yes. had been signed, but Ennis Gillen stays with me because the idea of people, irrespective of their political colour, who are at prayer on Remembrance Day yes. being bombed by the IRA, mm-hmm. uh, it is utterly unforgivable. Yes, yeah. And there's letters in there after... And a skill and, and it's funny because when I went into the archives, um, Robert, who was helping me, he said, you know, for, it's it's only a year after Enniskillen that it's called Enniskillen. It was called Remembrance Day for so long. So when you're looking for these things, it was actually Remembrance Day it was called. And he had said in on the radio programme, he suggested that maybe as a as a note of solidarity, the Irish people maybe might wear a pop, white poppy yeah. for the month of November. And there's letters in there which are 
a ferocious back at him saying, how dare you suggest that yeah. anybody in Ireland wear a poppy of any colour. And he was uh, he, in receipt of some death threats. Yes, yes, plenty of those, yes. Now, the, the, all the amusing stuff, though, and mm-hmm. I mean, maybe some people don't find it amusing, but the idea of moving statues in Ballads. Uh, the moving them. statues, because that's something that I remember. That was 1986. And I remember vaguely, uh, but when I came across the moving statues, I mean, it's wonderful because the, the, the letters and the phone calls in about the moving statues are so, you know, you can say what you like about the moving statues. They might have stopped moving now, but that's because Mary has given us her message and it's up to us now. And and they were moving everywhere. I mean, yeah. I think it started in Ballinasbittle and then it moved to various lo- like you'd remember all that. It was oh, just it was a, absolutely extraordinary. Phenomenal. And people were standing there waiting for the statues yes, to move yes. in defiance of the laws of physics and whatever. <laughs> yes. Then uh, in a, a parallel way, in a more serious thing, and it shows how what a religious written people we mm-hmm. were. And then you have poor Anne Lovett dying yes, in the grotto in, in Granard. Grotto, yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's heartbreaking. And that led to wider discussions as well yes. on the radio programme. And a lot of the letters in, in uh, throughout the book in relation to the religious, um, you know, the, one of them talks about being a child of Mary and there's so much reference in the letters of the time to God's child and Mary's child and, and you know, that and and. The, even um, Kevin O'Connor's report about Anne Lovett, how important it was that the people that sh- that when he was reporting that he said that she had died a consecrated ground, that was very important. That it wasn't a field, it was a grotto and that yeah. was in over the town. Um, uh, just looking at some of the names, I remember them well. Mm. Uh, Mary Martin, who used yes, to do the Mary, phone calls yes. and uh, uh, Nori Nicol and Eve Kenny, mm. I, I knew them all uh, well. And did, uh, yeah. he was blessed among women. He There's really no... <laughs> was. He really was. They're yeah. great, great women yeah. that worked with him. And it's a fabulous book. Thank it really is. It, it captures, um, as I say, the evolution of Ireland in the late 20th century in the yes. most entertaining way. It's called Dear Gay. It's uh, compiled by uh, yourself and the letters handwritten but also uh, printed out in the book for ease of, of reading and so on. It really is terrific. It's Thanks, an, it's I'm glad an you entertainment it. and so much more. Susie, thank you very much for joining us in studio. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.